Sarah. Welcome to the Addiction Connection, hosted by my grandpa, Dr. Kurt Devine, and Heather. Is she a doctor? And Dr. Heather Bell, my two favorite addiction doctors. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back. I think we should have old people granny voices because it's been <laughs> so long. Uh, I think we should tell the truth, though. Tell the, the truth. Uh, this, the uh, this, is, this isn't even a COVID. It's experience. actually my fault. We didn't miss one during COVID. No, this is my fault. I I stopped at this gas station and I didn't just eat one little package of those chocolate donuts. The wax ones we talk about. I had three packages. Uh, my blood sugar went through the roof. I was hospitalized for weeks. And I just got out, and then I was diagnosed with chronic Lyme. (laughs) Does that sound believable? I don't even know what to say, because this is the first time I've heard this whole story. He's been that absentee. No, the reality is, is Kurt was sick for a while and had no voice. Like, literally no voice. And then you were sick and And had no voice. And then I was sick, and then my kids were all sick, and then... We have a lot of other kid things, so I have. But there's a lot. no excuse. Really. I have. I have a lot of kid things. I'll just. I'll just take ownership of that. But you started the trend of laziness with your illness. Well, I couldn't talk. That would have been a perfect podcast. Yeah. I know people. Yeah. I'm sorry. I should have just done it on my own. Okay. One thing I want to say. Is shout out. A sleeper. I have, but it, go ahead. That was a sleeper. What did I say that again? There was a patient, and I talked about her a long time ago on a podcast. Living in like Australia, do you recall mm-hmm. the pregnant patient? Yep. She emailed me the like longest, most amazing thank you letter mm. ever, and sent me pictures of her cute little baby and how great of experience and how like everything worked out. She was in Australia. Did she send you like a kangaroo burger or anything? I, no, oh, but okay. you know, I feel like I should go back to Australia because yeah. I've been there, but not, I think, near where she lives. But that was just so special. And then I just, we just got another one. I was telling you about a person asking us. So thank you for listening and emailing us um, about LSD and psychedelics. And that's actually on our top list right now, too. Yes. So we will get to these. We'll try to be more, you know, on it, schedule. It's interesting you say that because I, I had a friend call me, and he's from Oregon, and of course psilocybin is legal there. You know the yeah mushrooms, and he had a lot uh-huh. of questions. It's very interesting how people are are scheduling journeys yes. at these businesses. So, uh-huh. so yeah. But anyway, today we're talking about gambling. But if anyone wants to like quickly, just because we're talking about people reaching out to us, you can please email us at the Addiction Connection podcast gosh does it have the word podcast the addiction connection podcast at gmail.com shoot <laughs> you can't even remember i don't even remember it's been at the so moment. long y'all i'm sorry um yes it is the addiction connection podcast like, at gmail.com oh my gosh brain fart i know i think old. you i think you might have chronic lyme in your head so anyway anyway so we had today. a great speaker that we are just going to kind of take some of his notes from his talk on gambling. And he gave us permission. And he gave us permission because this stuff is so interesting. And of course, gambling being the only Right now as of DSM-5. DSM-5, only behavioral addiction that right. is recognized. Others I'm, are under study. I'm going to give him full credit because we are taking his slides again. He gave us permission. Um, Ted Hartwell, he is... He's got like a lot of affiliations with like literally every organization, but his... Big one is the Nevada Council for Problem Gam- Gambling Community Engagement Liaison. So this dude lives outside Vegas, y'all. So he's 
he knows what he's talking about. He's also in a lot of other things, as I mentioned. Um, he, we are going to have him on. It'd be cool if we did part three, but we are going to have him on. I think he is just, he's got a story. He's very open about his story and his history. And I think having him will be amazing because he was so good. He's been on our Echo now twice. So it was interesting too that in his talk, as we start our talk here, he, he actually reached out to the person in the Minnesota who is part of this same group. National Council on Problem Gambling State Affiliates. Yep. And so we have a lot of Minnesota stuff, too, for those that are we in Minnesota. Do. Of note, he does share the country. Not everybody in the country ha- is in a state affiliate. However, there is a 24-hour prom- Problem Gamblers Helpline, which is accessible in every state, and it is 1-800-GAMBLER. G-A-M-B-L-E-R. So there is that. And then there's that famous song, The Gambler. Yes. I, You know, and it reminds me of that picture, the, the picture of the dogs playing poker. Correct. Oh, I'll tell a story here in a minute. Okay. But anyway, let's so Minnesota, let's talk a little bit about Minnesota and gambling. No, no. No? Oh, yeah. Sorry. This is Minnesota town. <laughs> what? I was like, no, no. Okay. So it's, it's interesting that if we look at Minnesota residents, about two-thirds of people have gambled in their lifetime. In the previous year. Yeah. And well, yeah, that's like your lifetime. But I, I mean, that would know. include really everything because even raffle pull, pull tabs, all those things are gambling. It's it's interesting to me because like raffle tickets and pull tabs, like I, I'm assuming this means Minnesota residents who are of age to gamble. Two thirds doesn't seem high enough because I mean, even super prim and proper people who go to church four days a week the Go to church gamblers. raffles. Yes. That's gambling. I was just at a meat raffle. So I've gambled. Mm-hmm. I think, here's what I think is interesting is if you look at Minnesotans, there's about 56,000 people who have gambling disorder. And that's 1.3% of our population. Do you know what the number is of people with no. opioid use disorder? It's pretty close to that. Isn't that interesting? Because you think about how many patients we see with opioid use disorder every day. And we could do the same thing and have almost as many gamblers. I, it's, it's like, clearly I don't have words, but you don't have, I mean, we don't see everybody of anything, anything of everything, but they do say, okay, so 56,000 Minnesotans, 217,000 are high risk, which would be like at risk drinkers. Right. Right. So, um, 22% though of Minnesotans are affected by someone else's gambling. Yeah. So almost a quarter. This is kind of that thing of what what percentage of people drink a huge percentage of the alcohol. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. This 1.3% greatly impacts the majority of people. Yeah. So so it's really, I think what's really interesting is the crossover for the addiction that we see when you look at uh, people this, with alcohol use disorders. I just right? want to give the quick transition. This is yeah. now NISARC data, the National Epidemiological Survey on Alcohol and Related Conditions. This is not Minnesota. Now yep. this is national. Yeah. This is the big one. But basically three quarters of people who have gambling disorder actually have alcohol use disorder. Or had. Or had. 38 had a drug or have a drug use disorder, so like any drug. And I think the other big number really, you know, 60% with a personality disorder. So, I mean, I think that we have to always understand, just like other use disorders, there's a lot of comorbidity. A lot of comorbidity and overlap and all of those things. So, kind of what we just said, but just in general, if you're looking at patients who have substance use disorders, which of course is now what we do 
all the time. But if you even have an at-risk drinker in your primary care clinic or whatever, 10 to 15% of all those patients with some type of a substance use disorder may also have a gambling problem. This is just that whole thing that has irritated us for, I don't even know, almost a decade now. I mean, literally almost a decade. Kylie's almost eight, and that is when our project started in 2015. That's how I know our dates. Oh. Like our traveling all started when JC was born and Kylie. Yeah. Anyway. So eight years we've been doing this and trying to get people to even screen for alcohol or substance use disorders. And I mean, gambling is going to be way down that list. And I think we learned a lot when we talked to him because we literally, while we were doing his his echo, where we had him on our echo, we you were texting <laughs> our people and saying, we need this on our, yeah, we need this I on totally our screening. totally changed our screening form during this echo, Ted. Yeah. So yeah, we changed During it. Ted's talk. Ted but, See what I did there? Yeah, but literally two, two <laughs> or three. Come on, we- okay. Two or- Are we still going? <laughs> two or three weeks ago, I had a guy tell me when he stopped drinking alcohol, he actually started gambling. Which, which is hard because you yeah. like the alcohol at the. He just yeah. wasn't a casino. Person. He just got so anxious at home, and so he started gambling, and it kind of took the edge off for him. Uh, so. I really feel like I have dropped the ball by not asking. People. Oh my gosh, for sure. It's it's. So I don't, I don't know. I have a. I think where I struggle in my head, even though knowing all these things, it's when you say gambling, the first place my brain goes is to the casino, which is not obviously even probably half of gambling anymore. But that's where my mind goes, so it struggles. Yeah. But I, I think too, one of the big things, and we've talked about suicide with opioid use disorder and substance use disorders, but it's also high with gambling. I mean, did I think about that? No, not really. But, you know, 20% of gamblers have attempted suicide. Wow. And so we have to look at this as a high-risk group if we get somebody with that issue. That's a question then you ask is like, are you, are you, you know, any thoughts of self-harm? He does talk about gaming because that's a high-risk thing, gamers, which I, I struggle. I had like the old school Nintendo, but like... I don't know. I have a hard... I, I think I'm too... And they talk about ADHD and and things like that as well as being high risk. I feel like I'm too ADHD to do gaming, let alone gambling. Like, it's just too not enough. I don't know. Whatever. But children are at risk if their parents are high gamblers for all the other things. Just like 50%, you know, heritability of addiction. Same thing with gambling. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the stats that he talked about that was really, to me, kind of interesting is that when we often talk about what percentage of people with a opioid use disorder actually get help or or with any substance use disorder and it's like what 15% or right and only 10% of people with a gambling problem actually seek help could they get help i don't know but they don't even seek it only 10% do so right. and that's because i think you know the financial issues the embarrassment the well and just it's just like anything it's, it's a little different than opioids i mean you overdose to get brought to the er okay <laughs> you know i mean there's there's I think by the time a gambling disorder presents, it is at the extreme level of literally lost everything. We're at the suicide attempt. We're at that point. Whereas an opioid use disorder, I mean, one bad batch and you're in the ER, sometimes you know, you find it sooner with certain things than others. Alcohol. Might not think they have a problem until they get their first DWI and second and third, but that's because there's an immediate consequence. Whereas I think gambling, yeah. you can hide a lot longer. And it's delayed. And of course, there is there is a little bit of this talk about when do you really have a problem? 
And he had the three C's. I was going to say, are we skipping this? So the three C's. This is any addiction, though. Control, craving. So can you control what you're doing? Do you crave what you're doing? And then what are the consequences? It probably should be loss of control. Well, it is loss of control. Look at the next page. I know. So it's it's not really a C. It's an LC. LC. Yeah. But anyway. LC. You know, if you're, it's that whole thing. He talked about he how he went so many years where he could control it, where he would lose so much, and he was able to stop that day. Right. And then there was a, there was just like a conversion where right. he suddenly could not. So you, yeah, you lose that control. You crave it. So, and this is kind of, you need to, inc- it's the same thing like when we're talking about a use disorder, you need to continue to increase the amount you're using to get that same effect. So it's increase the amount you're betting, the frequency to get that same euphoria, if you will. Yeah. And of course, the negative consequences, often financial, almost always, uh, relationship issues, just like any use disorder, Uh, all those things that when it comes crashing down, uh, you know, and and of course, associated with all the lying. And he talked about how he had hidden, you know, credit cards, all kinds of stuff to, to kind of cover himself. And that all came down like a house of cards, as they say. Ooh, should I do the slow clap for you too? Yeah, do that slow clap. Okay, perfect. Okay, I really like this little chart thingy more than I understood during the echo, probably because this is when I was emailing our nurse changing our forms. This I I just find this fascinating because one of the lines is U.S. data and one of them is Nevada data. Um, Nationally, whether you're in the U.S. or Nevada, that came out weird. 14% 14% of people just don't gamble. In the U.S., 75% just do it socially. You know, it's some people can drink alcohol socially. Three quarters can gamble socially. Nevada, it's a little lower. The at-risk gambling in the U.S. is about that just under 8%, but in Nevada itself, 11%. You know, it's interesting. I had a, uh, I've never told you this story, I don't think, but I had a, a friend in high school. He's probably told me 12 no, times. No, no. Friend in high school who had a beautiful car, uh, they totally rebuilt. He had a lot of cash. Went down to, guess where? Las Vegas to live with his uh, some family. And when he came back, he had nothing. He uh, actually lost everything he owned gambling. So so we basically, he basically, you know, had this issue. He got there and could not control it. So my my question would be, when, you know, in Nevada, how Nevada differs in terms of problem gambling versus in pathological gambling. Like, do the people who live in Nevada, because this data, problem gambling in Nevada is twice that of the U.S. and pathological is twice that of the U.S. Is this the people who grew up there? I'm thinking maybe not, maybe. Mm-hmm. Is this the people who work in the in the, the industry, if you will? Or is this just people who move there because of the thrill and whatever? Well, they're going to make their money. Right. But part of me thinks maybe the people who grew up there as well, like if your parents worked in the industry, you're around it, which is then yep. at risk. It's just, I would just like this broken down more, please, Ted. I'm just kidding. I probably yeah. don't have that. Someday. But, uh, and of course, when you look at the DSM-5. I you didn't know, realize the DSM-5 was almost a decade old already. Yeah, 13. 2013. So it really, the, I mean, the, I don't think really you need to think too much to to figure out what the criteria would be because it is so similar to any substance use disorder. So there's know, only nine criteria. There's nine, but it's that whole thing you can't you can't control it or cut back. You've tried, you know, you need to increase your spending like you would, you know, heroin. You got to increase it, and 
So it's really very, very similar. Do you, do you have like a, ever since the, when I turned 18, of course, like you go to the casino and you turn 18. That's what they did a million years ago. I did. And I've never walked into a casino with more than $20 in my hand. Hmm. And once it doubles, I put the original 20 in my pocket and then I only have 20 that I'm allowed to touch. That's because you're doubles, cheap like me. I'll take that 20 and put it in my pocket. So once I'm ever out of 20, I leave. So yeah. however much I've made, I don't know, because every time I double the 20, so I never keep it all out. I never keep it accessible. But it's that loss of control yeah. you don't have. But, See? And See? It's, you know, and, and again, like he said, he could do that for a while. Right. And then he started chasing his losses, as they I say. I remember the last time I was at a casino. Yeah, a long time. So, okay. so yeah, so, so again, it's not, I not don't. too different. <laughs> These charts are amazing. I'm not going to go through them. I don't think we should go through them because it's, I mean, I think we can go through the general. So this person, Robert Custer, Dr. Robert Custer, who's National Council on Problem Gambling, made these chart of compulsory gambling and recovery. And he did mention that you don't have to necessarily go through every phase, but kind of the overview is, you know, you're winning. So the first couple of times you go, you're winning. Of course you want to go back. This is great. But then you kind of start losing. Why? Because potentially you just keep throwing more at it because you're doing so well. And then you lose to now chase it. And then you get desperate because you've now wasted, you've, you've spent everything. Um, and then people will hit that hopelessness phase because they have spent everything. And that's where the badness happens. The yeah. suicide thoughts, ideations, arrest, divorce, all the other things. And then it's kind of rebuilding and coming back from it, much like most. Much like anything. There is a there's a parallel form. I'm definitely not going through this one, but it does talk about the spouse, the significant other, and how they handle it. And I feel like it's very similar to any use disorder for certain significant others. It's the whole just stop. Why can't they just stop? And it's it's complicated. And really, when you look at kind of the consequences too, I mean, again, when you look at these, the emotional consequences, the depression, the anxiety, the comorbid things, right? And and I think similar to other SUDs, often that whole financial issue where we see patients who really have nothing left, not every time, but a lot, uh, and, and the lying which and, and, and all that, which seems to be a part of the addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, employment. Are they? Yeah. He, he talked about how he'd leave work early to go gamble and, you know, and therefore he's not working and doing this normal productivity, plus he's gone. And then... What happens with like legal things? Are you doing mm. sketchy things to try to like get money to then earn back what you've lost? What you see in the news a lot, mm-hmm. where people just happen to be the bookkeeper at a business and and they're you know they're embezzling money and writing checks to themselves. So it happens a lot. Okay, so the last thing we want to talk about before we move into ending this, and then we'll pick up where we left off. And the next part two of gambling is is this chart that he gave that I really like. It looks at kind of the big kind of life thing. So job loss, arrest, divorce, bankruptcy, mental health treatment. And then it compares if someone doesn't gamble at all, socially at risk, problem, and pathologic. And what was super interesting is I think like <laughs> everything doubled. Well, almost everything doubled. So job loss, arrest, and divorce pretty much doubles if you don't gamble to even socially, the oh. odds ratio. It's not necessarily causative, but it there's a 
correlation in there. Um, but a pathological gambler has an odds ratio of divorce of 53.5%. Or 53.5. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Bankruptcy, 19.2. You know, I don't know, that I've, I don't know that I've ever seen that kind of data, at least that I've seen on some of the things like alcohol use disorder or you right. know, those things. Although, you know, frequently, yeah, I can recall that anecdotally, it seems like we see a lot, but it's this chart. I just wish y'all could see it. It's just ridiculous. And we'll put it eventually in the notes, the, the show notes and all of those things. If you know the, the source anyway, but it is just crazy fascinating. All right. So we're going to end this and we'll do a gambling part two, part two which is going to be what risk factors and risk factors, treatment and why it is that. a use disorder. Yeah. And then sometime down the road, we'll have Ted on. We'll have Ted on. I love we'll a, a Ted, Ted talk. Where's my... I yeah. even have them all there. Just kidding. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, thank right. y'all. This podcast is brought to you by Ars Longa Media. Produced by Dr. Patrick Beeman and music by Battle Eggs on Spotify. Skyrim, so sturdy and so stout When the day is done, when it's time for fun We'll drink and sing and shout You weak river milk drinkers Can't let your throats run dry Cause it's just one drink that we will sink Until the day we die Drinking mead in the halls of white run The maids and the men We swig our brew until we spew Then we fill our mugs again You can keep the filthy scuba It makes our bellies bleed So we raise our flag into another dead dragon There's just one drink we need No one mead Another dead dragon, there's just one dream.